we're going we're gonna to start from first principles and get and build our way back there. But just be aware that when we get to Revelation again, I'm going to redo it, because I think I didn't do it well last time I was rushing. Okay, so course, course structure of the sugya always is um, we're trying to construct the case of the Mishnah which says, um, the structure of the sugya as we have it is we first eliminate the possibility that it's talking about Chazara, it's talking about Taos. In order to, to make it about Taos, we have to introduce the character of the intermediate Taos or the agent. And then it gets more complicated. Right? Then we have two fundamental options. How, does the, how is the agent mat'ed the other polim? Is the agent mat'ed the other polim by overpromising, Or is the agent mat'ed the other polim by underpromising? So in the, in the, in the Havimina, let's, we'll call it that for now, when the agent underpromises, we say, okay, that eliminates all possibilities because of, of Taromit because of Savar Bikibel. And then in the Maskana we say, nope, you can still say al Timna Tov Mibalav. And we've spent the past two weeks trying to figure out the meaning of al Timna Tov Mibalav. Okay, I want to go back to talking about overpromising versus underpromising. So the big difference between overpromising and underpromising is if the shliach overpromises, so then you might think, this a plausible way to set it up is, if the shliach overpromised, then there's obviously a taromit. So the shliach overpromised. The only question is, why isn't there a monetary obligation? Okay, so there's a, there's a fairly straightforward answer to why isn't, there a, why, why isn't there a monetary obligation. The answer is there's no contract. Because right, the, the workers never agreed to what the, right, to, what the owner, to what the owner agreed to pay. So we should say, okay, so that's, there's no contract, everything is great. But it's not that simple. Because if there's really no contract, we should say then the owner doesn't know anything. Why does the owner or the, or the three that he originally thought about paying that the workers agreed to, there's no contract, you shouldn't know anything. So the answer seems to be that if you walk into someone's field and you do work for them, you owe them the worth of their work, so long as you actually derive the benefit from the work. Okay, we'd have to figure out how that translates into modernity. And what happens if I benefit from the work, but I don't want to pay it now, right? Let's suppose that one of you, right, it's dangerous to reveal this to you, if they say, you know, my chimney probably needs repair. But it hasn't been worth it to me to repair it. Uh, right? So suppose that one of you is an excellent but unemployed mason. And so you sneak into my house one day and you repair my chimney. So logically it seems I owe you. Right? So that's a dangerous concept. If we wanted to translate it to Lamasa, we're going to have to figure out some ways which we can limit it so that you don't, right, you don't end up you know, performing extremely expensive work for me that I don't want done and then, and then d- done before. But for now, in the universe of the Gemara, that seems to be the background assumption, right? Because that's the only way in which the employer can be liable at all. In yes, Mike. In this case, isn't, hasn't the employer already indicated a certain willingness? You know, he does value it at least up to three. Okay, so it could be that's in our case, right? But um, what I'm saying is that generally, right, the background of the Gemara is generally that, in fact, you owe, you owe someone who does the work, um, right? But, right, so you, but that might be right. If we wanted to just get out of our Gemara, we'll say if the that we're only going to make that true if the employer indicated some kind of knowledge of it. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be, that, I don't think that's true. That we, the employer's intimation is only useful for the Taromit. It's not useful in the other case, not useful this way. Okay, so then the I question. Say, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. In the um, example, it was he did work in the field, I think. If you could say maybe it's Daba Avut, that, you know, picking fruit when it's ripe, something that would need to be done anyway, and it's not like a chimney, which, you know, you could, it's not, 
Okay. So the Dabar Avud is a dangerous term. We're going to get to that, but you're right. Wait, maybe we'll try and come up with some way that the work has to be done, and you don't have the option, if, even if you're not so, not, not so rich, you don't have the option of not doing it. Okay. So, um, right, so we have... First stage is, right, if the, if the person overpromises, so there's, there's grounds for it, but we say, but there's no grounds for enforcing his promise because there's no contract between anybody. And we set up a series of conditions to make, it no, right, to make sure there's no promises to anybody. For example, saying, Scharchem al balabayit, and as opposed to Scharchem alai. And then we say, why does he pay anything? He pays something because of some general principle that you owe the worth of the work, the work you did. Okay, so now if you owe the worth of the work you did, so... We could say, okay, so if your, worth is, if your work is obviously worth only three, so we could say, okay, that solves the problem because th- right, there's a terrible because you're overpromised, and you only get three because, right, because that's the worth of the work you did. That would be very simple. The interesting thing is that the Gemara never, the Gemara never mentions the simple case. Right? This is part of what I talked about what Deborah was objecting to last time. The Gemara never says that terrible is that you were overpromised, period, and then you get the worth of your work. The Torah always seems to involve some combination of you were overpromised and you actually lost something. So, the Gemara, right, so our Gemara sets up three possibilities of what it is you lost. Right, with two of them we've talked about as opportunity costs. You lost the opportunity to negotiate, right, to negotiate for, a, uh, for a higher price. You lost the opportunity to work for yourself. You actually did work that was work more, that work that was worth, that was a higher quality than was needed, which gets into the whole question of what work you can do. I mean, it never, just, never says just a simple thing. You overpromise, so there's a Torahomet. You only get three because, right? All right, the Gemara thinks there's some other reasons. So, what the, right, so what the Gemara tends to do is uh, they say that there's some other factor for the Torahomet. So, right, one factor is the complicated case that, you, that your work has indeterminate value. Some people get hired at three and some people get hired at four. And in that case, what it sounds like, so there are two ways of explaining that. One way is, and therefore you can't collect because we don't know what your worth is worth, what your work is worth. And the other possibility is, but you can't collect because you can't prove what your, worth, what your work is worth. Okay? That's, that's basically how we, right, how, we, how, we, how, we, how we structured it. Okay. Then we said, okay, what happens if the shliach under... If the, shli- if the shliach underpromises, so the shliach underpromises, um, and right, so the workers sort of agree, but they still still So you could set the gemara up very simply by saying that those are the only factors that matter. All that matters in this, all that matters in the gemara is the shliach underpromise. There's a gap between what the original employer was willing to pay and what the and what the employees got, and that's right, and that tells you the determinant. But the riff said, no, there's only a taromit if, the worker, if what the workers agreed to is less than the worth of their work. Right? It, right, the, the over-promising of the original employer is not sufficient, said the riff, to create the, tar- to create, to create, to create the taromit. It has to be that what the original employer promised was what the work is actually worth. And then the agent, right, and then, and then the then the agent um, lowered the price. Okay, so we t- pick that up. Um, the first riff that we saw, which uh, to make sure the numbering is right, in um, in, in my packet that was page uh, seven, but it might have been eight on yours, right? The top, the top, the right, the previous page ends with the nisim gone, and this this page starts with the, this page starts with the riff. 
Right, so the riffs, um, so the riffs said, um, as on Kol and Aktida Mehashmaita, the rule we take out of this sugya is where the Heichad Amar Lebalabai Shluchot Sei Uschor Lipolim Bedalid Dalazuze. So the the the, the Balabai says four. The Azal Shliach the Amar Lebitlasa Tlasazuze. The Shliach says three. The Amar Lein Savar Vekavil. The Afal Gab the Shavia Avid Tahu Dalid. Even though their work is worth four, they only get three. Um, okay, so we could, we could try to read the riff very narrowly and say, what he says is you only get three, even if your work is worth four. And there's also a taromet, but the taromet applies regardless. Or we could read it and say, no, right? Not only do you, only, you get three no matter what, and there's only a taromet if it was worth four. Okay, we see those two ways of reading it. Okay, right. So we had right. So we we had the conversation, or with, with Alicia and I had the conversation about what motivates the the tournament. But I think that's the first way of reading it. So then we got to um, we got we we saw a whole list of Rishonim, all of whom seemed to think that uh, with more and more clarity, uh, right? They all addressed the question of why is right, why is there a tournament? The shliach just did his job, right? He got it at a cheaper rate. But in the process of that. All those all those Rishonim consistently said that the case um, right the case um, has to be either include uh, let's say or be specifically in the case where the work is worth more than the than the than the workers actually agreed to. And the implication is, but if the workers right, but if it's worth three and the workers agree to three, the fact that the employer promised four is fundamentally irrelevant. Okay, so that sets up a right. So the question is, why do, why does that make a um, why does right, the most explicit of this, which is where right, which is the second to last source on this page, is the Talmud Harashba. Talmud Harashba says, "Shafilu taromet ein kan ella b'shakol hapolim hayudiskarim ba'arba." There's not even a taromet unless all the workers are hired at four. Right. So even in the ambiguous case where some people hired four and some people hired for three, where there's not right, there's no. There's no, there's no cost at all. There's no taromet at all because they still got a fair market price. There's only a taromet says Talmud Harashba if it's obvious that the workers agreed to a, a below market price for their work. Okay, so I ask, like, so why would that be so? Uh, why would that be so? So, um, and how does this relate to the earlier um, rejection of the notion that there's a taromet in this case at all? I remember the Havamin of the Gemara is Savar Vekavil, and since nothing else changes in the Sugya, right, right, so the initial, so, the, so that means the Havamin has to have been, there's no Taroma even if the, the owner promised four and the work is worth four. And the Maskana is, in that case, there is. So we could have a, um, there, are two, there, are, there are two ways of, um, of doing it. One way is saying, right, is a purely pragmatic notion that we believe in we as a system believe in supporting the wages of workers, and so we discourage people who lower the market for wages. Right, it's, a way, it's, right, it's just a way of preserving a way of preserving the market. So the issue is that really, that's not really a personal taromet, right? That's a that's an explanation of why we formulated the law this way. It's not right. It might not be a, right. Really, workers in general have a taromet. Not this worker has a taromet. Um, that's right. That's one. That's one way of framing it. The second way of framing it is to say that we don't view the consent 
right, the Sever Vekavil as, right, as real because it, it, right, it comes out of a lack of information. That, right, presumably the case here is that they agreed despite not knowing the Shard. That's it, putting a new factor in, the Gemara doesn't mention. Right, but we can say the Okimta of the Gemara that we're putting in is it must be the workers didn't know that everyone, that everyone else got four. And so, the, right, and so the employer is taking advantage of a lack of information. We have a general legal principle that uh, right, freedom, of contract, freedom of contract work, whatever you agree to, you are bound by. But then we have a moral principle, which is that we disapprove of contracts which are not engaged in with complete information and transparency. Right? Even though you might say that, we have an adver- that negotiation is always an adversarial system and you have no obligation to provide somebody with the, right, with the, other, inf- with the other information. Right? But no, right, the answer is we have something like disclosure in American, right, an American adver- adversarial court system that the defense attorney and the prosecutor have to play fair. The two adversaries in, you know, right, in court monetary cases to some extent, have to play fair. There's no discovery of the same kind in um, in, uh, in 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 civil cases that there is that there is in commercial cases. And so, if you negotiate with somebody, right, you shouldn't you sh- right, they should assume that you will not offer them below the market rate without telling them. Okay. Yeah. In this case, I don't need to say that there is a contract because otherwise, if everybody else only gets hired for four. Yeah. Why should, why should they also get four? That's right. So here there is a contract, right? Because the agent said three, and they said three, and then we could decide whether the contract is, right, whether the contract is with the agent or with the employer, right? And right, because the Gemara here doesn't discuss the other the other part of the Okimta of Skarchemalabalabait or Skarchemalai, but presumably you have to construct the case in such a way that in the end of the day there is a contract, and probably the contract is with the Balabait, and probably that's because paying three is within the agent the agency of the agent. Why isn't it practical that the case is where they didn't realize what the value of the labor was for? Ah, so what, right, because, so we could say, no, there's a term because you shouldn't, right, you shouldn't take advantage of their willingness to work that way, right? We could say that, right? I think that's, uh, so the reason that we're, the reason we would want to say that is because this halacha sounds awfully like a halacha we know from somewhere else called ona. Right, ona is the standard halachic way of limiting freedom of contract, right? That in commercial transactions, you're not allowed to charge somebody more than, let's say, 20%, whatever, right? that's highly complicated, but let's say 20% above the market value, unless you disclose. Yes, but uh, not Okay, so, excellent. Okay, excellent. Right? That is the other possibility, right? Reject the reject my reject my Okimta and say that we right put in right and put in the another Okimta, right, which is that Right, we, that this is only where they do know about it. Right, put in the reverse okimta, because they didn't know about it. That would actually be reversible or no. Yes, right. That's what you're arguing. At least, certainly, that would be the as far as it could go. Right, it could be that in either case. It's just, uh, okay. Uh, okay. Good. Good. Yes. If Shaliyah knows that it's the market rate is yes. four, mm-hmm. 
and he said and he said we're going to pay three. Yeah. So why isn't why isn't? And I'm sorry, I, I only caught up to the first year so far. So he, if it's on the other ones, you can just refer to it. But why is it not? Why do we not say that he he's uh, engaging or not? Okay, good. Right, that, that's a fair question, right? Why did, right? So we talked about last time that you know that the Gemara picks its numbers four and three, and we could have right, the Gemara could have avoided this whole mess by picking eight and seven. Good. Okay, so that's where we got. So the Talmud Harashba, um, right, which is the, the second to last thing on this page, says, um, Right. So Talmud Rashba says the answer to all the Ona questions is, Ona doesn't apply to Sirius Polin. So in that case, we can say, you know what, it doesn't matter whether he knew about it, didn't know about it, there's just no, right, there's just, as he understands it, on an enforceable level, there is a, um, at least there is a complete freedom of contract. Whatever you agree to is binding. <coughs> and then we have a different question under, under what circumstances do we think that is still the wrong thing to do. Okay, and that seems to be, right, that seems to be a reasonable, ex- a reasonable answer for, um, for everybody. Then he goes on to say, right, there's even, only, even a Taromit is only when you actually lose. And those positions might be connected. There's no ona. Right? So there's no ona, right? So right, if you haven't, right, so we don't care, right? We negotiations are free. It's just that, right? It's just that if they, there's a there's an objective gap between what they gave you and what you give them, so then you have grounds for tournament. Okay, but what I what, what I wanted to build towards last time is, but it seems like all the Rishonim, right? All the Rishonim, yes, David, a question or no? Okay, so the all the Rishonim agree with the, the more expansive reading of the Rif, which is that in, right, in, that in all, these, um, that all their explanations of the case involve um, the, the work has to be worth four. Right? Everyone says the Okimto, this is the work has to be, the work has to be worth four. Okay. Then we got to Revel Yashiv, which I didn't do a good job on, and I'm still not going to do a good job on tonight, but I hope I'll get the point I wanted out of it tonight. Rabbi says the following. This is a kasha. This case, where the worker, where the, where the agent underpromises and the workers get a tar, get a taromet, is a problem for the ritva. And so I confess, I have not found the ritva saying this. That's part of why I'm not sure I have the Rabbi right, because I haven't found the ritva saying this. Even though, should all be aware, there are two things published as the ritva on Dov Messiah. Uh, one is a thing that's published in the standard sets of Chedushi HaRitva, um, which the consensus nowadays is not the Ritva, and there's a separate thing called the Ritva HaChadasha, which is generally assumed to actually be the Ritva. But I haven't found it in either Ritva. Uh, okay, if those of you still use books, if on computer they, they label, right, they label it Ritva and Ritva Miuchas, so you can get, so you can, um, you can have it that way. Okay, and then like the real suspicion is, is there is a Maharit who says it, so you have to, you know, so, Maharit, Ritva, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to find it out whether, whether, what it really is but there's somebody right, at least Marit who raises the question right, okay, so what is he talking about so I don't have this, this nailed in entirely either and then he quotes the Ramban and he says so this I do know I think with the, the Ramban and Chumash Says the following. 
that we have a, a legal, there are two things that the Gemara explicitly excludes from Ono. One is land, and one is slaves. There is no Ono by Avadim or Karkot. But the Ramban says that when we say there's no Ono by, Karko, by Karkot, we only mean that there's no enforceable Ono. We don't mean that there isn't a prohibition. Okay? Now, I think what Rabbi Yashiv is saying is that if you look at whichever, whoever it is he's quoting above, so they raise the question, okay, but they, whoever it is doesn't think, even though it sounds like in the Gemara that the way we get Avadim is derivative of, of Karka, it sounds like somebody tried to make the distinction and say, no, the Ramban's position applies to Karka, but not to Avadim. Avadim are really completely excluded. There's not even a love. But, uh, or at least, at least Eviknani, that's this whole separate issue as well. But land, there is a prohibition of Ona, but it's not, enfor- it's not enforceable. We're going to leave aside for now the enforceability of Ona comes on two different levels, and we'll have to get to that um, in a moment also. Right? Whether you know, one level is, one level is rec- the, the transaction stands, but the money is refunded, and the other level is you have the right to cancel the transaction. Okay, so now he says, what about Schiris Polim? If when we say that there's no Ono by Schiris Polim, assuming that we know this for sure, which they're going to, they're assuming right now that there's a Gemara in the parak before us, on Daphne and Vav and Bet, that excludes Polim from Ono. Which is what the Talmud Rashba said. But are they excluded completely, like Avadim? Or are they only excluded from return? like the Ramban says about Karka. So Eliyashiv says, this position, right, that he's quoting, whatever it was, Ritva, right, holds that they're not excluded, even though everyone agrees there's no capacity to reverse the transaction, right, um, over here, right, so, right, so therefore, just because you agreed to a lower wage, doesn't mean that you can then charge more because it turns out that you agreed to a wage below, below market. But it doesn't mean there's no prohibition of Ono. might be like the Ramban about land, that it's prohibited, it's just not returnable. And now Eliyashiv says, hang on a sec, but if there's a prohibition of Lotonu, you can't say it's just a Taromet. That's more than a Taromet, that's an Isser. Right? It's not an Isser that comes with an enforceable outcome, but it's an Isser. So Eliyashiv says, if I understand it correctly, the existence of a position, right, the, the, the hypothetical, for now, position, that it's still usur to, over, right, to engage in Ono regarding workers, even though it's not returnable, is not compatible with our Gemara. Because our Gemara says that it's only a Taromit. To which Rebbe Yashir says, the last line he says is, Right, let's say, right, the, 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 sorry, the, the, end of the, the end of the line, it says, yesh onah, timna, right? Since we have a real love of Onah, what are you doing telling me this Al-Timna told me Ba'alav? You should say, the reason the work, right? Forget, you don't even need to talk about Toromah versus non but The workers should say, Leslach al-Tonu Amito. Why are they quoting a Pasuk in Mishle? They should be quoting a Pasuk in Torah. So his answer is, Elaim Kane ain't Onah. So we have to say there's no Onah here. Why is there no Onah here? So Eliyashi says that according to that position, 
According to the position that there is a lab of ona in terms of salary negotiations, you have to make the okimta of, of the of the shliach, um, the, the underpromising case, you have to make that okimta where the work is dafka not worth more than three. Okay, so the way Rabbi Yashua sets it up, all the positions we have seen so far, which say that the case has to be where the work is, where the work is worth four, have to, right, are all based on the premise that there is no, there's not even an iser of ono. But once you say there's an iser of ono, you have to change the okimta. You have to reverse the Okimta. Okay, so it turns out, right, if Herbal Yashiv is correct, that there are two, right, that we started out by pointing out structurally, nobody ever, ever explains, right, whether, right, what the, what the worth of the work is in the underpromising case. All Rishonim made it go one way, Herbal Yashiv makes it go the other way, and says the issue depends on whether you think there is ono or not. Then you have to go research. Do you think that the evidence for there being no ono at all is compelling? Or do you think that there's still a lot? Yes. Why is it not? Uh, it could be a place where it's three or four. Why do you have to say it's dusty in a place where it's three? Well, if it's three or four, then there's still right. So why does it say dafka three? If you have three or four, then that shouldn't be ona either because the shar is in between. Yeah, that's a fair question. Um, that's a fair question. I don't know if he's being dafka or not. That's an excellent question. Okay. So we have to figure out. Um, whether we want to include Ona in the sugya and then say why it doesn't apply anyway. Ona is relevant, but doesn't apply, or Ona is wholly irrelevant. And that will, of course, raise the question of how do you regard Ona? Right? Do you regard Ona as a rational law? Do you regard Ona as a Xeris Akasid? Right, that, right, that, that will apply in the... Okay, so that's where we, are, where we are now, is that we have these two possible okimtas in the, in the under-promising case, Right, one of which, right, one of one of which says it, it has an okimta which is against the riff. Like, if you read the riff expansively, at least, but it's, it's against the way every other every rishon we've seen explicitly reads the sugya, and it's against the okimta that the gemara gives in the first half, and one of which reads the sugya um, all the way through. Um, okay, so let's turn now to the modern pitchei uh, choshen. Um, so this goes back to right. So the question we talked about. Um, what we talked about to some extent last time is what's the agent's responsibility? Right, we had, right, why, right, why don't, right, so one possibility is the agent's responsibility is to, um, is to, bene- is to pick the worker side so consistent with the explanations of the, ba- right, of the Baal bias. Um, right, we other, right, and then we had the other ones where it wasn't quite clear, right, we had some difficulty trying to figure out why the Shliach did anything wrong. Right, that was really, that was really the challenge. Why the shliach did anything wrong? So we say maybe the shliach did anything wrong because the owner really wanted to pay for it, which is very odd. Okay, so this hechoshin um, says, and I forgot to print out my bio of who this is, but I don't remember anymore. Um, says kevish bias right in the shulchan aruch it ends up passing that's a you know, preview of what what psak is, which we're a long way in our future. That kevish the balabayis the marlu skorbedalid. So the Shulchan Aruch obviously paskins like the last Okimta, at least. And so we quote the Shulchan Aruch, and now we say, So even though he is the agent of the Balabayas, and therefore he should work for the Balabayas as much as possible. Right, so as an earlier Achron has said, 
Ein lishliach limnoa mehem hatova. Okay, so he, he says that the, his ground for understanding it is that it's the owner's commitment that makes, it, that makes this a chatar uh, which is the position we saw, right, Goliath, we saw a position right, in the Chudushia Ritva, that's the legend of the real Ritva, right, Goliadate de Nichaleli Arba. Okay, right, so the Moharoim didn't have the Ritva. Um, generally, Ritvas were not widely available uh, right, until fairly late. Um, so that's fine. Okay, but now he goes on to say, the Nira Kavanasa. Oh, sorry, I missed the line. Umidivreha Meiri Nira, Dekoi Kishimalachtam Shavet Dalit. Okay, but now he puts this together with the Meiri, which is not entirely, uh, entirely obvious uh, at all. But we said maybe the Meiri is saying the same thing as the Ritva. And he says that the fact of the employer promising four is not enough to create a tournament. You need both the employer promising four and the work being worth four. You have to put all the factors together, right? It says, right, the... Okay, so you have the Mlohoroim who says that, right, like the... Uh, it says, like the, the Ritva who says that it's because the agent revealed his, uh, revealed his work. And then he quotes the Meiri and he puts them together, not as alternatives. And he says, you also need the work to be worth four. So in order, in order for the employees to have a taina... They have to, right, the, 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 own, right, the owner has to have promised, promised more and the work has to be worth more and put all those together and you get a tarot. Anything less than that, your contract is a contract. Okay. Um, okay. Right? So he tries to thread the needle that way and say that, you're, that an agent's responsibility is to negotiate as well as possible for your principal. That's still fair. That's his middle line. Right? Just because you have to do everything for your agent doesn't mean that, doing everything for, that you, you do everything for your agent to the point of Diminishing somebody else's privileges, even if they agree. Okay, now we, he doesn't mention the question of whether they have to know about it or not, which we could then qualify it. Right? But you can, so you can end up with a very, with a very restrictive notion, right? That um, you always have to do the best for your, right? You always have to do the best for your for your for your employing agent, right? Unless that results in workers un, workers unknowingly. Getting less than the value of their work when the employer has right has shown willingness to pay the true value. And or we can tease apart and say any of those three, right? all those are all reasonable reasons of the Gemara. Right, but he's right, he's right now reading the, right restrictively at least two of them. You need the employer having promised more, having shown willingness to pay more, and even eagerness to pay more, um, and the work actually being worth more. And we leave out the question of whether you know about it or not. Right, but if the, but if if the as long as the employees get fair value for their work for the value of their work, there's never an issue of tarot. And the fact that right, okay, right, that's fine. The fact that, that the guy was willing to pay more, so what? Okay, then he says the sivas hamishpat kasav. Right now we're doing classical work on uh, on on chesed mishpat. Sha'af mash amar balabayis bedalad lo nis kaven shi yiskor bedalad elish no sin l'rushus shim lo yimatzi l'skor b'fachos yiskor bedalad. 
So he said, why don't we just interpret, right? He interprets the instructions of Balabayas. All Balabayas automatically mean, get it, right? I'm willing to pay up to this point. They don't mean pay this, right? Pay this much, unless they say so explicitly. But he says, if you really understand it that way, why should there be a, right? Why should there be a tarama if the agent is really just carrying out the principal's instructions? Right, so he thinks that even, even if the person was willing to pay, was willing to pay more, and their work was worth their work was worth four, it's still not a teromit. Um, it's still it's still right. It's still it's, it's still not a teromit unless the um, the unless the agent um, sorry right the only time is the agent explicitly said four and didn't tell you to negotiate. If the agent told you to negotiate. Then, it's, right, then the agent doesn't have freedom anymore. Right, the employer, right, the, if the principal told him, if the principal told him to negotiate, then the agent has no freedom anymore. There's only a tournament where the agent is given a certain amount of discretion and uses that discretion to, right, to, uh, but, right, I said, when the agent is given discretion and not given instruct, right, discretion, right, pay for, and if you pay less, nobody's saying you can't pay less, he didn't tell you you have to pay for, right, so it's a very, right, the Stevens' case is a very, very narrow case. And if you put all these details together, you end up with an extremely narrow case, even for just tournament. And the underlying principle is still freedom of contract. As opposed to, if you took Herbie Usher's way, we would say, no, freedom of contract is limited by O'Neill. Okay, so, right, so what we originally called the Havina versus the Maskana, right now translates into Herbie Usher versus lots of other Rachronim. Yes, ma'am. Is this um, in this uh, in the parish he talks about Kishamalachtan Shavadalit that the work is worth four? Mm-hmm. Is this something you can know ahead of time or not? And so is it prescriptive or is it retroactive? I think it's prescriptive. I think we're talking about market rate, right? Okay. You know, market rate, if you right, which is what it is by you know, by other things. Yeah. Uh, right. So you, right. So how you deal with new markets? How you deal with the first contract of the day in a market that is variable? Right, there, right. Do you carry over the, the sharp from the previous day? What happens if there was obvious news? Right, those are all great questions, the uh, said. But in the right, in the limited thought experiment we're having here, right, I think that they assume that there is a a knowable a knowable price in this shuk for right for uh, for workers. Yes, so, 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 um, now that you established that the case is one where there's there's a shliach and the shliach is one who ultimately sets the price of three. All references to Teromit, or Teromit or whatever, yeah. that the agent, the agent has been trespassed in the notion of Teromit? So far, we have not seen anybody, at, at least as yet, who claim that the Teromit is against the owner. Although there, we've said there are theoretical constructs that you can say, right, if you built everything off, but the owner was willing to pay it, mm-hmm. so why don't you just make the Teromit against the, the owner, right? So we raise that possibility. But everyone we've seen who addresses the issue says that the is against the agent. It just seems to me like the case, the, the, the last part of this um, you know, is it possible, you know, if you say the owner, the, the, the employer, by saying, by, by giving the shliach latitude to, to get less than four, and assume that he knows the market is four, so just by giving the shliach latitude, is he sort of... It's a fair point. So the, 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 the weakness of the Pitchei Choshen is that he leaves out the factor of knowledge, mm-hmm. right, which can affect on both ways, right? What is the employee, right? 
right? Maybe, right? Maybe if the employees know it, it gets rid of turnover, right? Maybe, uh, maybe if the employees don't know it creates enough. Maybe if the employee right all right all those issues. And one of the problems we're going to have in right trying for ourselves or the freedom we have, whichever way you want to frame it, is that very few people, at least at this stage, right? We haven't seen anybody who puts all the factors together. Uh, right, but we will see that there are going to be efforts to, right, even among Rishonim, there are already going to be efforts to put it together comprehensively. I'm just trying to build it, to build it stick by stick, so you can see that they're separable, as opposed to if I presented you with, uh, look, here are all the factors together, right, so then you're, you don't get to, to see what it took to build, put all those factors together. Okay, Alicia. Uh, that's a fair question. Right? All we have about Onela so far is somebody, right, as Rabbi Yashir is saying, it seems to me that according to that position, so who knows? Right? I guess this is you know, what, I, what I want to try and show generally, right, is that often we present Gemara's if it's, and so as if they're determinate. Right? You know, right, you know, right? But really, what you can do is, right, if you tease apart the factors, you can really see you can construct often thousands of ways out of a particular sugya. Right, Rav Rosenzweig does that conceptually, right? What if I did it this, theoretically this way, did it theoretically this way, and I'm showing you can do the same. Well, the first year I ever gave you Israel Sharon, I think, was called 1,024 Ways to Understand Tzatzi Shir and Which One Tosfa Told, uh, which was my act of rebellion, right, to think that I could prove which, right, which one Tosfa Told, even though, right, because if you, you know, just play out, right, there, there's two options here and three options here, and then we figure out how to in, make them all interrelate, that gets you six. That's two options here, 12, right? So if you have like 10 Chakira in the Sugya, and, they're all, and you can make them all independent, you're going to end up with a thousand possibilities. Right? So that's what Rosenzweig does. Um, right? and so I'm just trying to show you, you know, that you, even without doing it conceptually, just by teasing apart the factors in the sugi, you can construct the same kind of thing. The conceptual work is figuring out how can I make this work with that? And how many of those possibilities have, um, as Rosenzweig would say, half-lives that are more than a millisecond? Um, right? But, it's, really, but it's, it's usually not determined. Right? There's usually an enormous amount when... when so when people poskin, right, what they're doing is, that's what I want to call it, they're collapsing the, the function, right, collapsing the wave, right, there, there are all these enormous numbers of, of possibilities in halacha, and somebody poskining is picking one of them and saying, this one is real. And you can choose to accept that or not, right? So we lost, right, that's what I'm trying yeah, to, so I want to show, like, the distance between sugya and halacha is often enormous. Because, right, it sounds like they're being apodictic, where it has this way, but they're only picking two factors, or eight other factors. Right, so that's the Pilchei Choshen has that hole, certainly, right there, that he doesn't tell you, he, does, right, he doesn't consider the question of what, uh, or what, what, who has to know, and there are, two, right, there are three parties, right, let's we do it that way, right, there are three parties, there are, like, there are two states of knowledge for each of those three parties, that gives us six possibilities, right, and, right, and we have to figure out which one of them is he giving us this outcome for, and how many outcomes are possible in each of the ones he didn't give us, right, so now you have many, many different states of halacha, that could be, yes, yeah. I am not currently aware of anyone who is Mikhaev the Balabayat. But again, I only know the cases that they talk about. Right? Put in put in a factor they don't talk about, right? Now I can do say whichever way whatever, I can do whatever I want in that in that case. Right? So all those right all the possibilities exist there on a lumbish level. Uh, right? That's why I guess I try to explain to people that Psak is usually about eliminating possibilities, not about creating them. 
Um, right? That's, that's the, the, right? The, the task of Psak mostly is to, is to delegitimate. Sometimes it legitimate, right? It's a huge chiddush. It legitimates something you wouldn't have thought was legitimate. But mostly it's adjudicating among possibilities that would have been legitimate. And you're using your authority to say, no, those are not legitimate. Well, no, because he's not saying it's enforceable. Right? right? I, I, if I'm right, he's doing within the Ramban that there's a law, but no, but, right, but, no, but, no, but no reversibility. Yeah. Right. But we're going to complicate that. We're going to complicate that in a moment. Right? I have one other factor to introduce uh, right, before, we, before, we, before we get through this, right, through this part of the sugya, then we get, have to introduce the next part of the sugya, and then we can go back. Other questions? I'm just confused about yeah. um, how the Telemet registers. Um, what does it do? In the sense that if um, the agent is uh, faulted for overstepping his uh, uh, prerogatives from the uh, owner, but the worker money. Yep. So, is there a ta'aromet that is not registered by the worker, but by a co-agent who sees, you know, an agent, uh, you know, overstepping his, uh, um, uh, his role? So, we could say, like, you know, certainly if, you know, I can say to somebody, you, right, they will have grounds for a ta'aromet if you do that. Uh, right? like, so it could just be it gives somebody else the moral authority. It could be that we want everyone to learn. Or it could be that there is some kind of notion of right? if, if I were that kind of Akron, I would say that the real quest, the question is, do you have to do tshuva? Right? And if, right, if, you, if you come to your, you your road before Yom Kippur and you, right, and you say, I got somebody to agree to a below market contract for my employer. Right? You know, do they, right, do they, what will they tell you in order to be clear and maybe what they'll tell you will be different between the rich and the poor, because when you ask for kapara, that's not the same thing as when you're asking for halakha. Uh, right? Those are all... Right? What, I haven't addressed the question of whether a taromet has non-legal enforceability. Right? That's, a way of, right? that's, a way, that's a way of asking that question. Um, I, I, I guess I say, there's, there's, there are three ways of doing it. One way is to say, no, it's just your moral... It's just the moral sense. The second way is to say it opens up all the possibilities of non-formal infor- of informal enforceability, the third more radical possibility, which is what I wanted to claim, right? So I'll, right, I'll, right, I would like to claim, at least in some cases, is that halacha always carries a balance between the in mamanos, at least, right? So between the workable and the ideal. And it right in the time in the society they were dealing with, it was not infor- right. It was not enforceable for various reasons. It could be because it was Two against expectations. It could be because in a system, uh, we still have these, right? There are things in, in American law that aren't enforceable because it will cost more to enforce them. And costing more to enforce them can be two ways. One, it could be just you pay more in lawyers' fees than you do, right? Than you do. The other possibility is, it, right, is that it will create so many, ca- so many cases where people, where innocent people, will have to defend themselves against charges like this. That it, right? Now that could all change with a new administrative system. Right? It could all change with a system that registers all contracts on a big board where everybody can see them. 
right? There are all sorts of ways, right? right? So you can view it as like there's there's an halachic ideal. And the halachic ideal is freedom with let's say is freedom with full information. But right, but every but each side should like the, like the American the American criminal ideal, right? Where each side is supposed to now right, at least where at least the prosecutor is supposed to provide all information possible to defend and including exculpatory information. Right? So that's the halachic model of an ideal of an ideal market, and then we can't have that right now, so we do, right, so we register, right, that, that, I think that would be the most radical way of saying it, is that it's a, it's a, uh, it's setting out the reform program, right, I know it's a dangerous word in the Orthodox context, but whatever you want to call it is, um, it's setting out the return to the original ideals of Sinai, um, right, pro, um, program. I, I, at this point, I'm not making a, you know, that, that, to, in some cases, I would like that to be the case. Um, but I don't, you know, but I don't, I don't know, um, yeah, I don't know, I, I can't prove it. Uh, right, the, the model I quoted for the thing, I quoted once before, but it's probably worth quoting a lot, is Rabbi Bleich's model of Lifnim Yishur HaSadin. Is that Lifnim Yishur HaSadin is a progressive thing. The goal is for a society to develop to the stage where everybody is chayiv to do Lifnim Yishur HaSadin, and then Lifnim Yishur HaSadin goes one step further. But there's no, right, he doesn't think Lifnim Yishur Sadin is a permanent status. Lifnim Yishur Sadin is a socially dependent thing. Now, of course, it also runs the risk of regression, right? Maybe things that were din only become, lifnim, become only Lifnim Yishur Sadin, right? I think Rabbi Bash doesn't ever address that explicitly. Because it's not clear, that there is a formal mechanism like Minog for turning Lifnim Yishur Sadin into din. It's not clear what the formal mechanism would be for turning din into Lifnim Yishur Sadin in reverse. Um, so I don't, so I, I I have I never talked to him about it, and I think that's an un, you know that as I understand it now, that's something of a weak of a weaker conception in his system. But that's a model. The way he explains this in Rishon Sadin is a model of what I'm talking about, and it's a way of letting halacha hold the reality that you can't always get to perfection where you want because, partly in economics, you're bound by what right you're bound by what's feasible in your society, and you can do the more radical things. You can connect it to what the Rama may or may not have said about Karbanos or anything like right or anything like that if you want about you know the way in which halacha. Halacha, as is, has to make conce- has to make concessions to social and social reality and human nature. Okay, that's probably a much longer answer than you expected to that question. <laughs> Always a risk to let me do a tangent. Okay, but let's do the uh, let's uh, do the Shur of David, which is the end of my. Uh, no, it's not. It's not the end of my larger agenda today. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll still get. I think. I think we'll still get the preview. Um, the next, next week. So here's what he says. Right, that's our under that's our under promising case. So he quotes the Gemara. That's fine. And he says, um, Okay. So here's one, one other factor that we just haven't mentioned. The Mishnah is studiedly ambiguous. When you say four or three, is that an hourly rate, a daily right, or daily rate? Or a project completion rate, and right, and we, 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 know from our external reading, right? Remember we talked about Paul versus Uman. We know from our external reading that Halakha has at least two categories of employees, Poelim and Kablanim, which right, which we're going to now, although not, that's not obvious, we're going to now say that Poelim are time workers and Kablanim are peace workers. So, right, assuming those definitions are correct, which we will, we will have to challenge later. 
So the right. So the um, the Sefer Yanei Chachma says that the Rambam says that even though Onah doesn't apply to Paulin, Onah does apply to Kablanim. So right. So if we right. So if Onah does apply to Kablanim, and the sugya he claims is actually talking about Kablanim, which we haven't right. We haven't seen anybody in the sugya discuss right whether whether we're talking about just Paulim or Kablanim. Uh, right, if it applies to Kabbalah, so now we're back in the Rebel Yashif problem. Right, if, the, if, if Anah applies to Kabbalah, why isn't this Anah? Why is it just a Um Okay, so we could solve the problem by saying, right, what we do, we could say, oh, it must be if the work is worth, really worth only three. That's why Rebel Yashif tried to solve the problem. Right, but he doesn't come up with exactly the, the, exactly the same thing. Right, I don't think he says, but she does a Rambam, Okay, right? So he says, you know, so now there are obvious differences between transactions of movable property and uh, and labor in that movable property, if you want to right, what you, if you want you want it, if you want you can always return the object. With work, you can't return the work that was done. So if you think it's enforceable, uh, right, and remember, now he's not dealing with Rebbe Yashif's claim that in the Ramban where it's only a law, right? The Ramban holds that there's full onoa by Kablanos, including enforceability. So if there's, right, so he says in that case, since they've already done the work, the only possible, so the only possible solution if there's really been onoa is to, in, is to have them get paid. So why is there only a taromit? They should get paid. Who should pay them, right? That's going to be a new question, right? It should be, it, right? Um, but in this case, it can't be the agent, the, right? Really, because the agent underpromised. So it has to be the balabas, right? We're talking about the underpromising case, so that is, right? So presumably we could enforce the, that we can, right? What we're going to say is that if there's a nub kablanim, then kablanim, at least without, now if he says onah, so that can't be, means that they can't have known, right? So it's putting another okimth in, right? To ask the kasha, Right to ask a kasha from a no, you have to assume that there, right that there's not full, there's not knowledge, because right because you can always no never binds you against your against your full information agreement. Right, so assuming this is a sugya where the workers don't know, right, then right right then there should be a problem no here. There's a problem no here, um, so why don't we just enforce it? Why is there just a teromit? So his answer is, Right, so his answer is no. This must be a case where they did have full information. And that's how we get out of the Onoa problem. Right, really, Yashiv got out of it by saying the workers only three. He gets out of it by saying that it's a case where the workers where the workers know, and there's no Onoa if they, right? There's no there's no Onoa if there's no Onoa if they know. Um, right, the Hayada Shivoi Hapula, a few Haki Niskar Bishlosha. Vare in BMS, a Gamma Balabais on Ebishlosha. So if the employer had actually said three, however, Vada, Lloyd, you don't call, there'll be no issue. Kaven the Chenis Ratsi, Rak Bishlosha, Velo Yoter, Vainkan, Vainkan or no. Okay, so therefore he says, if there's no, uh, if there's, there's no no, so he says the only possible, is, so the only possible issue here is then. Is do they know or not? If they know, 
then there can't, right, they know there can't possibly be Ono. Yeah. Also, yeah. If you're transparent, there's no enough. Okay, so that's right. So we have two ways out of the possibility of it, right? So we have the possibility there's a no by polim, although not enforceable no. There's a possibility that there's a no by kablanim, which is enforceable. And then we have to say the okimta here is that they knew. But along the way, what he says then is, you know what? Let's suppose there's no no, and they don't know. Ona is a very technical halacha, which talks uh, about amounts. Right? And if it's exactly 20%, right, one-sixth of the end, or right, whichever way you want, 20, between, somewhere between, right, between, 25, right, between 25 and 17%, whichever way you, you calculate a sixth. So then, if it's exactly that, so then right, you have to return it, but the transaction is not reversible. If it's more than that, probably you have the option of returning it, or returning it, or reversing the transaction, maybe both parties do, maybe both parties don't. There's a whole debate. But he says, but you know what? Even by land, where there's no, no, everyone agrees about that. But there's still such a thing as there's no meaning of minds because it's a mekachtot. Why does Ona matter? Ona is just a technicality. Without right, Ona is the prohibition, right? That's what Ramban says, right? But without the prohibition. There still has to be a standard of what constitutes an illegitimate contract because, there, right, because you would not have agreed to it had you known something. Right, that's an independent principle. Right, that, has not, right, has nothing, that has nothing to do with Ono. There are contracts which are, right, you know, if, um, if you sell me a diamond and it turns out to be a zircon, I buy the diamond, so, right, it's not Ono. There was no contract because, right, because we were talking about different things. So he wants to ask, right? So he wants to ask, his, um, right? He wants as is, uh, right? So he says there's no no once there's no toes, but what about the reverse? Can there be toes even though there was no no? What sort of information do you have to have to enter into a contract for real? Okay, so we can take the whole no conversation and solve it however we want. We still have to ask the question, right? Is it really true that all contracts for employment are, um, are, right, are, uh, are binding absolutely, or are there principles that, right? Now, different kinds of contracts have different kinds of rules about this. Um, for example, right, one of the, you know, the, the raging contemporary questions is, what are the, stand- the rules of Mechachtos for marriage? Uh, right? But there is a principle of Mechachtos for marriage for both men and women. Right? Everybody agrees that it exists for both men and women, although some people have much narrower conceptions for women than men. Um, right? So, right? so the last thing he raises is you know, that maybe we're having the wrong conversation when we talk about whether it's Ono, because maybe that's irrelevant. And we could say, no, Ono lowers the standard to the point, right? right? Whereas, whereas in order for it to be Mekartos, here it has to be something unrelated to worth. It has to be, right? But that raises that possibility as well. So that's one more factor. Um, to tie in, particularly if you think there was deception, right? So, right, so you say there's no no, great, but there was deception. Whichever way the deception went, it could be there was deception because he really promised more than you told him they promised, or he agreed to, or it could be that's because because of the marketplace and he's taking advantage of an information asymmetry. Okay, so we can right. So after all the work we we do to right to exclude a no, then we put a no back in and we say okay, right, a no requ- a no 
Allowing there to be onah requires one of two okimtos, either the okimta being it's worth only three, or the okimta being that the employee has to, be, has to have knowledge. And then it turns out that we might have to have that conversation even without ono. Because it might be otherwise, right? Otherwise there's some kind of conception of toast. But let's figure out, so how do you deal with toast in, right, in the context of a contract where one party has already put in value? Right? They put in the work on the basis of a toast. So the transaction, we just reverse things and say they were the way they were. Yeah. No, Taos is not fraud. You can claim to. You sold it to me believing it was a diamond. We both thought it was a diamond, but it was a zircon. That's a toast. So, good question. We both thought the shara was three. Yeah, so that's not. That's not enough. Right, so the same thing here, right? If the workers know that they're accepting a below market contract, yeah. that would also I agree with you. If we, the, the okimta that the workers know is enough to get rid of both Onoa and Toes. But I'm pointing out that even if you exclude Onoa, you might still need the okimta that the workers know. No, Sabra Kivil is a commercial principle too, and yet we have Mecca of Toes. What does Sabra mean? <laughs> that is a, right. Sabra Kivil means knowing, knowing that, it, right, that the market price for this is higher, or is higher or lower, they still agreed to accept this price. Like Ozule come Ozule Gabe. They, they, they knew it, and they agreed, for whatever reason, they chose to work for under market. But that phrase implies that they knew it. That phrase, yeah, I'm saying that there, there, right, there is a concept where they. But if they don't know it, then Sarvakavil doesn't right? Sarvakavil applies within limits. Maybe the limits are the same as Ona, maybe they're higher, maybe they're lower. Uh, right? Same as marriage, right? You know, right, you know, neither of us neither of us knew that this person, um, right, that this person had, God forbid, a brain tumor that would make that that would make that would make them utterly, you know, that would turn them into a vegetable tomorrow, and yet they would live for 80 years and be unable to give again. Neither of us knew that. Maybe it's a mechanic of those. There's no no by marriage. Nobody thinks that, right? You know, I over, you know that, that I, I overpaid, but there's still there's still a principle of those. So you might have to make that okimta anyway, right? That's my right. That's my even even with those. That the, you can separate the conversation of no from tos. It's just that by no we have some kind of standard. Like we know what isn't no, right? If it's not, it can't in some way be constructed as a sixth. It's probably not no at all. But it doesn't help matters here because here we know it's a third. Or a quarter, right? So there's no right. So this is going to fit. So we'd have to claim that no, the standard for TOS is much higher than ONA, which we could do, right? Which we could do, but that is a but you know and we, we and we could import the discussion from ONA, right? We could import the discussion from 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 Karka, and let's figure out. So that gets in the whole right. So the question is going to be, why is it that land is excluded from ONA? So if it's Xerasakasu, that doesn't help us at all. If it's because we think that land is a permanent purchase and so all values are ephemeral. Right, it really, what you what we pay for land now is not the worth of it. Right, but that that involves all sorts of like you know big claims that there's a thing like you might call essential value. Right, which uh, which is which is different than, all right, which exi- which exists for some things not for others. Well, very very complicated. 
Uh, right? So I just want to put in right that the fact that that the question of whether the workers know is right might be relevant even according to the position that there's no ona, even though nobody ever introduces it into the sugya. It might be that everybody has to address it the Yokemta one way or the other. Right? So there's an example of a factor that's not in the sugya, not mentioned anywhere. And yet, right, it can't it might be that that sap fundamentally depends on it, according to everybody. Okay, also you, right, also we introduced the distinction between between Poel and Kablan that doesn't exist in the sugya we have. Right? There's a claim, right, that that we'll find out later that the that this sugya applies even to Kablanim, right? That's what that's right. He said is right that the Kablanos, the Mishnah is talking also about Kablanos, but we saw that means that the Mishnah later on is talking about Kablanos. That doesn't mean the first line of the Mishnah is talking about Kablanos. Right? So it depends on whether you read the Mishnah as a right. Where the, we read the Mishnah as a whole, with this, right, that all, all the topics in the Mishnah are unified, right? That's one of the questions we asked the very first week. Or whether you read the Mishnah as a group of isolated lines. Okay, right? So that's right. So what I, I hope you get, right? All the questions I asked the first week, right? They're all, they're all there and they're all behind whatever behind whatever Rishon says. You have to ask those questions. Um, right? It's just a question whether we whether we show them to you in advance or not. Okay. Um, Probably we should probably probably we should end here. Uh, so right, so we'll be up. Well, we're up to um, next time. Um, so you can look for it if you want to. If you want to, um, if you want to prepare, so you can do the the riff and Rivakiva Eger and and uh, understand what the what the stakes of the uh, what the stakes between the riff and the Rivakiva Eger uh, uh, are. Right, what the riff's objection to Rivakiva Eger is, or Lozachiti Lavin. Um, that will, I think, um, cast light on. The whole, the, right? The the question we asked about how we view the sugya as a whole. Do we view it as a series of compatible alternatives or incompatible alternatives? Um, right? Are we supposed to end up with all of them, or end up or end up having to choose among them? Uh, then, having done that in the Rifn Rakiv Eger, so then I think that you know, efficiency. What I would not do the Chashuk uh, but I'll tell you up front what he does is he takes some aspects of our Mishnah and applies them to a case that is unrelated to labor. So the question we're going to discuss is whether his move and applying it to cases outside of labor is legitimate, and what does that tell you about what the nature of our, what the nature of our sugya is, if he can apply it outside of labor, because I've been trying mostly to treat it as a sugya specifically right, within labor, and, and Rav uh, Zilberstein right, takes it outside of labor, so what does that tell us? And then the next page is um, the last Ibais Ema in the Sugya, uh, uh, which is already assumed in the in the Rifner Kivager. And right, so that will that will do to everything we have done so far what the last what the last Okimta did to the first part of the Sugya. Like take something that take something that we took for granted and we say, now that can't be, and say, Oh, that can be. So now what right, does that mean that oh that was always true? Or does that right? You know, we just did it. We just put. We just said the reverse because we wanted to do something. Or does it mean no? You know what? Everything we said so far is wrong. Okay. And if we wanted the particular thing, right? Since we, well, we, the th- last thing we did was a rejection of the hafamida. Does this restore the hafamida? Or does it go even further? Right. Not only do we reject the hafamida, we even reject this. We even reject this because right, we go much further than that. All right. So that's the basic structure of what we'll do. Uh, what we'll do next week. Um, 
we'll start, so I guess probably now I'm thinking that it's going to take us two weeks to finish the packet. Um, so the week after that, what we're going to do is um, see of the six, of the six, five, of the five Ilkimtas we have in the sugya, is it obvious which one of them is Pshat? And if it's obvious which one of them is Pshat, so why do the others exist? Right, you can tell that I do think that at least in certain ways of thinking, right, that's going to get into some of the bigger questions we asked about how you learn. In some, certain ways of thinking, it will be obvious which one is Pshat. And right, so according to the thing, if you think, if you end up thinking it's obvious, then you have to ask, so why do all the other things exist? Or you might say, you know what, those things exist, therefore it can't be obvious. Right, so that might drive you in whole modes of reading, right? Because right, there are certain ways of reading which is obvious and certain ways of reading which is not, so you have to choose. Are you okay, comfortable saying that there are things that are obviously not shot in the, in the Mishnah and the Gemara, or are you more comfortable um, right, so explaining why this, right, why, this, why this, making all the methodological assumptions that re- it, requires you, it requires you to make to say that this is not obviously, uh, obviously um, shot? Uh, and then I guess I'll tip one other thing, like, you know, is there, is there a, a, if there are options in the Gemara which are obviously shot and obviously not shot, is there a reason as to which ones of them come first? Okay. Thank you as always. Questions now or during the week as always are uh, perfectly welcome. We're on, we're in Shul on Shabbos. Uh,